You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 506 for January 22nd, 2020. On today's show, guitarist David Torn. Right here at the top of the show, let me include a little personal news. My partner Owen and I are moving to Tucson at the end of February. This is a big move for us, both geographically, because we currently live in Pennsylvania, and in terms of re-envisioning our lives. For me, my dream is to make 2020 the year that the jazz session becomes financially sustainable and also becomes my main occupation. After nearly 13 years and more than 500 episodes, I think it's time. Will you help me? Please become a member today for $5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com join. If you can't afford that, I get it. But my guess is that almost everyone hearing my voice right now can afford it and just chooses not to become a member. Please make the other choice and join today at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thank you. Guitarist David Torn and the Swiss quartet Sonar have just released the first of two albums called Transportation. Here's the opening of volume one. Thank you. 
little bit of housekeeping here at the top of the show. I try not to book the same guest too many times in a short succession, and that's why it's been 13 years since the last time David Torn was on the Jazz Session. He was on the eighth episode of this show just after it started, and now 500-plus episodes and 13 years later, I'm somewhat embarrassed to welcome back, after all this time, David Torn to the Jazz Session. David, it's great to have you here. Thanks, Jason. I, I am uh, to hear you say that out loud. Thirteen years. Uh, I, can I? I can barely count. That was two thousand six. Yes, or two thousand seven. Uh, yeah, the very, been... the very first year of the show. Right, yeah. right. And and we spoke when I was in California. Yes, I believe I that believe. is the case. Yeah. So it's well, it, don't be embarrassed. It's it's wonderful don't to have you back. I really, I really can't explain the gap, but uh, you know, things are made better by waiting. Let's hope. Um, so we're here. Uh, to, we can go in any direction, but we're going to at least start off talking about uh, the first volume of a two-volume release with the Swiss band Sonar called Transportation Volume One. Volume One just came out. Uh, two months ago, and then Volume 2 comes out uh, three or four months from now, I think in May. Um, and at the risk of losing all of my musical intelligence cred right at the beginning, I just think this is a really cool record. I've listened to it a ton, and uh, you know, my partner, who is not a jazz head but just digs good music, uh, the very first time they heard this said, oh, wow, I really like this. I just... I just find this incredibly appealing, this music. That's not a question, oh, it's just a compliment. That's great. <laughs> that's great, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> and as as I understand it, this actually, your involvement began initially as a producer on the previous record, right? Before you kind of realized, oh, I want to be part of this in another way as well. That 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 is correct. It was a, it was a complicated startup, uh, and... and um, a surprising startup. Um, they, I got a call or an email or a call and an email from Stefan and uh, the, uh, the the main composer and organizer, uh, ge- general organizer of Sonar. He is the primary composer. These are these are generally his pieces that everybody's playing and I'm messing up. He invited me to pr- simply produce the record and. I listened to the material and went through it and I thought, yeah. And that called him back. We spoke. He said, I'd like you to produce it. And would you like to mix it as well? And I said, yeah, I I would. In fact, I think if I produce it, I would definitely like to mix it. Uh, So the relationship started uh, over the phone and over Skype, mostly over Skype. And we talked a lot and the location changed from somewhere in northern Norway in the dead of winter, which would have been an amazing thing, to Switzerland where they live. And there was a very beautiful studio to use. I brought my engineer, Dan Goodwin, with me. I, I went in and we got to the session and before the session, uh, Stefan had actually called, especially called and said, hey, would you, I'd really like it if you could play on a track or two. Would you be interested in that? And I said, yeah, you know, I don't want to confuse things. So I don't want to make your record my record or I don't want to do that. And I also don't want to give the appearance of that happening because I don't think that's, I don't think that's right. It doesn't feel ethically correct to me. I really don't like to step into people's productions without being creatively beyond the production and mixing role when it starts out as being one thing. 
I'm not used to it. So in fact, I agreed to playing on one or two tracks. And when D. James Goodwin and I arrived in Zurich to do the session, Stefan said, we got to one of the pieces and Stefan said, uh, would you like to uh, play on, on a couple of the tracks? And I said, yeah, one. And he goes, how about two? And I said, yeah, two is fine. And by the time we had gotten at the end, middle of the first track, uh, Neil Prasad, who was there, and uh, some other people, and the, especially Stefan and the band were saying, can you play on everything? And they stopped everything and said, will you please play on everything? And I said, well, that's not really what we talked about. And, you know, I'm not going to be able to produce in the same way I normally would like to produce if I'm not sitting in the control room. It's a completely different role. I was kind of I would say I was a little surprised and maybe a, I was I was complimented, but I felt a little, hey, you know, I have this job and I want to do that job well. And I don't like the idea of being both things when it's not my music, you know. <laughs> so whatever, I rolled over and said, OK, great. And we had a great <laughs> time doing <laughs> doing it. And everybody got really excited. And eventually, you know, they asked me to join the band for as much as I wanted or was willing to do. And and at a certain point, I said yes. And we played we played a couple of gigs that like warm up gigs that I wasn't comfortable with. And then we played when we played in America, we played the first gig in a little club in Kingston, New York, and the band just kicked ass. I mean, it was a really great gig, and, I, and it went from, well, I'm not sure about this. It's a, it's a strange role to play, Jason, because in the band, as a player, I am, in general, I am, I am A, free to make up my own arrangement as we go, i.e. improvise completely, but for a band that's the rest of the band is playing written material and sticking to form precisely every time we play a piece except for when when there are cues made by by stefan or bernard um or sometimes manuel still they're playing the form of the pieces and i'm not so some people are freer than others manuel is a little freer i think than than other people um bernard and stefan are playing written material almost all the time. I mean, like, like 99% of the time, everything there. So it's a little strange to be in that position of, okay, so I, I've come up with certain numbers of pieces. I've come up with ideas for those pieces that I like the ideas that, that a little bit change from one piece to another and places where I play and pieces and don't want to play in other pieces. So then I begin, because they're playing the same thing repetitively, it begins to feel a little difficult as a soloist because I'm starting to come up with arrangements myself. And then Stefan and I will, he'll still like something and I'll say, and he'll say, can you do that thing that you did there yesterday at that same place or near that same place again or something like it? So I'm in this completely improvised role and I'm still mostly improvising my arrangements, but I'm beginning to I begin to learn the material, even though I'm trying not to. <laughs> you, know? So, you know, it's and it's interesting so to hear you say that it's a because very strange role to play. Yeah, as I've been listening to this, it 
in in one way only it struck me as being a little bit like some indian classical music that i've listened to where there's one player on top who is free within maybe some prescribed boundaries to do almost anything while the rest of the players on various you know drone and percussion instruments are essentially keeping a a fairly static thing going underneath and this was just yeah, reminding it, me a little it, it bit is, of that yes That is that is the case. The guitars, except for me, are doing that exactly. And again, it's ninety nine point five percent of the time that's what's happening. The amount of feeling that they put into it and precision and execution is completely up to them. But Stefan and Bernard are playing the written parts. And my role, actually, on the first record, there were no one made a boundary for me at any point. Stefan didn't say anything about, could you do this here? We would just do a take. And if, if the take was good, we would keep it. right. <laughs> and if it wasn't good, we'd do another take. And each time I would do something, you know, I'd, I'd start to pull ideas together, but I, each time was completely different. So, and that remains the case. There are only a few instances in where I need to stick to anything at all whatsoever. That is that has been the force of of the role is to color the music and not overcolor it, which was my instinct from the beginning. Don't overcolor, play where you need to, don't play where you don't need to. And Stefan made a couple of comments. You know, once we got going, by the time we were playing live after the first record was done, Stefan would say, mm, we, I, I'd really like it if you just didn't play for the first four minutes of this piece and come in at this point, great, no problem. You know, <laughs> the first couple of gigs, as I said, it was very strange, very odd. There's been a growth in the live performance of the band and in the second record in which Manuel and, and all of them, even Bernard and Stefan, to some degree, are interacting with me differently. I can feel the interaction now. In the beginning, Nobody knew what to do because they were all playing like completely written parts. And now I can feel that there's interaction, especially from, of course, from Manuel and from Christian. But feeling-wise, intention-wise, I can feel it from both of the guitar players, too. So now it feels like, it, it definitely feels like a band. One way or another, it's, you know, it feels like a band. So I hope that wasn't too many words, but that's me.
Like it says at the beginning of the show, the Jazz Session really is the first and oldest jazz interview podcast. It started back when very few people knew what a podcast was, and nearly all of them thought you needed an iPod to listen to one. Nearly 13 years later, the show is still going strong, but I'd like to be able to do so much more with the Jazz Session. More in-person interviews, more festival coverage, more travel, and making the Jazz Session into my living. That's possible only if you decide that you value this show enough to support it. Yes, you can listen for free, but like most things in life, there's a lot of money behind the thing you're getting for free. If you'd like to support this show, go to thejazzsession.com slash join and become a member. It's just 5 or $10 a month. At both levels, you get bonus episodes, you get early access to every show, and more. Thank you so much for being here all these years. Please become part of the next 13 years by becoming a member. Now back to the show. go back to something you said a few minutes ago about when they first asked you to play and you said well you know the role that i was intending to fulfill here was as producer will you just talk a little bit about why being one of the musicians makes being a producer more challenging or changes that role completely well if if we had discussed it and agreed on it in advance i would have had a mindset that was um was somehow like it's not necessarily a good thing, but I would have been somehow prepared for it. I was prepared to sit in the control room and make sure that not only was the sound going down exactly as I, as a, as a mixer wanted it to be, but also that I would have the opportunity to make suggestions about about execution and dynamics of what they were doing while they were playing, maybe even make some good, you know, creative arrangement suggestions that might, if, if, if they were, if I felt like, like something might be better for them to try it in another way. And I'm not, I'm not, a am not a very aggressive at that at all. I will only say something when I think it's, when I think it's really, uh, I really think we should hear it an- another way. It's very, you know, but, but I, I like that position of being able to sit there and listening, not acting. It's a very different role than playing at the same time. Once you're playing, you have that investment directly in the execution of things and the shape of things. <laughs> you know, so, so I was a little... I know it's weird. I was taken aback. I, I was looking forward to sitting in the control room with Dan and really trying to find new ways to make the sound and, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, the fact is I brought Dan Goodwin because he is an amazing engineer. We have 
working relationship that I don't even, I can't, t- I don't know how many records we've done together at this point. Um, we've done a lot of records together and he's a great producer and he wasn't producing, but he is a great engineer and we share uh, sonic aesthetics and the way of recording things. And I trust him implicitly to lighten the load so I can actually hear the music. That's so, a relationship um, that you know, I don't that, think that, gets talked about enough. That, that idea of the, the value of an engineer and in fact, finding someone so individually valuable that you continue to use the same person over and over again. I, that just rarely comes yeah, up. It, that... It's not, it's not even, I have to say, it's not even like use. We have a working relationship that is very easily symbiotic. And I mean, it just, it just is. And I, it took me quite a few records to realize, Oh, I don't need to make a comment about unless I hear something wrong. I don't really need to comment on anything. I don't have to say, but sometimes at the beginning of a session, I'll see a microphone that's up and I'll, I might say, Hey dude, can we, can we put up the a Lomo here? And, and Dan will turn to me and go, Oh yeah, I put one up. You can see it. You can't see it from here. It's right underneath the, the other mic, you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, so, so I really trust him implicitly. He is utterly capable of, doing any of these things on his own he's produced he produces a lot of records himself it's more like rather than use as an employee we kind of we have a working relationship that is that has continued to prove valuable we just finished another we just recorded another uh, three record set for matt mitchell and i think i've done every one uh, since 2007 i think i've done all of tim burns records with and my records with Dan, it's, it's become a pretty big catalog at this point. So, uh, yeah, it is an unusual relationship. He's definitely worth mentioning, D. James Goodwin. He's really a remarkable young man. He's young. He's not. He's not an oldster like me. <laughs> he's, he's no boomer. <laughs> oh, that's great. I wanted to ask you a question that I certainly could have Googled, but I thought you would probably give me a more interesting answer, which is that uh, Stefan, Bernard, and Christian are all listed as playing the tritone version of their instruments. So tritone guitar and tritone bass. And I know what a tritone is, and I know what guitar and bass means, but I have never seen those things together. And so I was curious about what that meant. It is, it is a, a functionally at the heart of Stefan Talon's 
concept of this music is that he writes using this tritone tuning on the stringed instruments. And functionally what it is, is that there are uh, across the six strings, there are only two notes because each, the interval between each string is a tritone. So that ends up only being two notes because the tritone it is the symmetrical interval not just a, uh, one of it's, there aren't two i think that's the at the root of his concept and when he writes these rhythmic patterns he is using the fretboard of the guitar and the sound of the fretboard of the guitar to do that writing so that's what's in his mind that's if you want to if you want to easily play the parts that he's writing, it's, a, it's probably not a terrible idea to actually put the instrument into a tritone tuning. And when you do that, then of course the instrument itself only needs resonance with two notes. Whatever the resonance of your instrument is, like the physical the resonating qualities of the instrument, they'll be different from one instrument to another. But whatever it is, it will maintain a sort of constancy that is very much like something it kind of like if you really extended the idea you would you might see the use of the tritone interval repetitively in a single key you might think of it very much like you said like almost as if there were an indian either uh a shruti box or a tambura playing a drone that just happens to be, have the the flatted the flatted fifth or or uh, the sharpened four as its second drone note right so so it very much does that it, it it when staying in one key even if there are other notes uh, that he's written into it that return the fact that the instruments are resonate, resonating with tritone kind of sets up that drone uh, for that drone feeling. You can do it in other ways. This is Stefan's concept. I, I only played the tritone um, tuning myself on a guitar very recently. The last time, I think while we were recording this second record was the first time that I, I, I was staying uh, in, in, in Stefan's flat in Zurich and he left his guitar in my room. So one morning, super early, I got up and started playing on it for the very first time. It's very interesting. I mean, it's a creative limitation uh, by design. That's pretty much what I can say about that. And then when you, uh, your own guitar is tuned, uh, quote unquote, normally on this these records, is that correct? I have a, I use a standard guitar tuning. However, it's transposed down either one whole step or or one minor third. Um, so, so in on the sonar stuff, it's always tuned down a whole step. So my lowest note, uh, lowest note on the guitar is a concert D, a D um, not an E like a typical guitar. But the the intervals are exactly the same as they would be on a normal guitar, just tuned down uh, a whole step, and that's been my typical thing to do since like 1994 or and so, does, does the fact of the uh, the three other string players in this uh, group playing these these tritone tunings does that does that change anything about what you have to do or are you still free to move around the guitar as you normally 
would? Well, I think you can probably, without even technically knowing what's happened happening, you can hear that I'm I'm in, enhancing that quarterly, harmonically, and often also melodically. But the effect would, in 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 the case of a drone occurring, any melody that I play, uh, that I come up with on my own or so in a solo or whatever tends to affect how you hear the whole thing harmonically because at the very root of what they're playing there is this tritone and there are of everything no matter even if they change the key then it's just another tritone set i like to amplify that sometimes and i actually like to play against it and i like as a quote unquote, I'm not really a jazz player, but whatever. I like to reharmonize what I'm hearing. <laughs> so so I like to have a different take on on what the the actual chord is gonna be at any given moment. That's an amazing freedom in a music like this. It really is an amazing there's both a freedom and a limitation in it. One, because they're using this tuning, and 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 two, the freedom is in the fact that I can I can recolor it at at any given point in time with a loop, with a note, with a chord, a different. I can change the key center temporarily and before as a, either a tension point or a relaxation point or in motion to do a combination of those two things. And it's as an improviser, it's up to me to make those kinds of decisions and i really like that you feel like you're you're semi composing the music along with it as it as it's as it's flowing you know Another quick break here to thank the folks who make the jazz session possible, starting with the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh and on Instagram at The Jazz Session. I often post clips from the archives on both those accounts. Please take a second right now to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It takes you just a moment, and it helps the show rise up in the rankings so that more people discover it. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcasts, poetry, and more, you can subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Also, just a note that on the day that I'm recording this introduction, I learned that the great saxophonist Jimmy Heath passed away. If you go to thejazzsession.com and click on Archive, you can scroll down to H and listen to an interview with Jimmy recorded at his apartment in 2012. Now back to the show. can absolutely correct me here but i i am certainly a child of 70s prog rock and 
particularly in the last uh, several days with the the death of Neil Peart from Rush, I've been kind of digging back into a lot of the classic music that I listened to when I was growing up. And and then at the same time, I've been listening to this record a lot to prepare for this interview. And I got to say, this record feels to me very much like a record made by people who have also listened to the same kind of music I've listened to, because I don't find it to be any kind of wide step at all from listening to some of my favorite kind of guitar-driven prog rock from, you know, like the the Crimson Era and that kind of thing to getting to something like Volume 1 of Transportation, which is not to say that they are exactly the same kinds of music, but that there's just a... There's kind of both an intensity and a like a performative joy in this music that I really like. Like I find it very, very easy to get emotionally involved in this record, which is not uh, always true it, for me for is, music like this. There is a, an openness is presented in it, and I think that that that's uh, like just without the without um, idi- idiomatic concerns like about style or anything. You know, there is an openness that is presented in in both the writing and in my treatment of the writing i think and and uh i definitely can imagine that i i hear the same thing myself i hear the that ability to listen there there are some parts in the the written music that you kind of end up listening without without listening you end up actively listening even though you might not be listening all the time, if you're listening just to the composed music. And I think that's a, although the sound is definitely related to that prog rock thing, specifically Crimson, I think, especially from the early eighties period when, when Robert was exploring his version of, uh, I might not really mean this, but his, his version of minimalism with those guitar parts yeah. and those interlocking guitar parts between him and Adrian, there's definitely a connection there. And both, both Bernard and Stefan were, I think they both did guitar craft at some point, but I think that Stefan has, I think that, for example, I've said a hundred times, if those weren't guitars playing those parts, if they were two vibraphones or, or uh, four, <laughs> four marimba and, and two xylophones playing those guitar parts, there'd be a very, very different energy and you would lose your connection to that prog rock kind of route. Yeah. So I, I understand that openness thing and get how to get how we get involved in listening to this music. And it reminds me very much of like the first time that I got engaged with uh with a with a Steve Reich piece, you know? I I mean really I, I remember that involvement when and same thing with Philip Glass. It took me years to actually get to Philip Glass because I thought that it was it seemed simplistic until I just kind of left it rolling. And then I'd go, Oh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm listening. Right. Now I'm listening. And, and so, yeah, it's hard for me, hard for me to know. A prog rock thing for me was, I was there for, you know, listening to the early bits of it. And that's, that's what I connected with uh, in, in the prog rock thing was early, soft machine and early Genesis and one of Bill's bands, Bruford's bands during that time with Alan Holdsworth. And I did connect with that music, but I maybe don't know as much about it as I should. I did reconnect with Crimson in 1980 and loved the the 80 and 82 
the records in 80 and 81 or 80 and 82 loved those records. Um, yeah, there is definitely a connection to it. And, and yet it's different. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I definitely didn't want to give the impression that it's in any way derivative or anything like that. Just that I, I, it hits me in the same place in my chest as, as some of that. Uh, You know, it's okay. I think, I, I think Jason that, you know, from my perspective, music itself and you could include all idioms of music and all all styles and everything at this point in time you know it's very easy to look at music as a continuum not really nothing exists without coming from somewhere else nothing does no one and nothing there are very rarely just completely singular moments in music you can mark them but they're so rare it is a continuum it's like um it's a, I think it's a thousands and thousands of years of continuum. It all feeds into as media, especially as me, the media move thing, um, electronics and media moved forward in the 20th century, night, late 19th, 20th and 20th century and 21st century still moving forward. The more spread out music has become and the more that's available for us to hear the more it appears like a continuum to me. It kind of blows my mind. I like to actually make connections myself to musical references or idiomatic references in music. You know, I know people are going to think this sounds like crimson, but if you took if you took a set of marimbas and some <laughs> strings and had them play these written parts, no one would know. And if it wasn't an electric bass, if it was a cello and a, and a bass playing those parts, you'd You'd never know that this was. Yeah. Never. You'd never know that this was. That's that. That was part of the the influence. You you would think naturally. You would think, oh, Terry Riley, uh, Steve Rice, Philip Glass. My guest for this episode has been guitarist, producer, uh, composer man about town david torn uh it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and uh, i i absolutely promise that i will make sure it's not another 13 years before you're back thank you so much for taking the time and uh, as always it's wonderful to listen to what comes out of your brain thanks for inviting me jason thanks very much If you value what you just heard, become a member for $5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks to my guest this week, David Torn. Next week, my guest will be vibraphonist Chris Dingman. Until then, support live music whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.